Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. When I first started lobbying for soil regeneration and was looking for advice, all of my friends and colleagues pointed me to one person, Aria McLaughlin. Aria McLaughlin is a social impact and environmental communications consultant and the co-founder of LandCorp, a nonprofit organization whose sole focus is to advance soil health policies. She has a 10-year background in business, branding, and marketing, and led client relationships and business development for the likes of Target, Rainforest Alliance, Ecocycle, Prana, Aveda, and more. Today, we break down how soil regeneration is not only crucial to restoring our climate back to health, but is also crucial to restoring the nutrition back into our food. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Aria. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your work and knowledge with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. It's really a pleasure. I'm so excited. And you know what? I really want to jump right in. And I think the first thing to start with is the term soil regeneration. Can you give us an example of a simple explanation of what this practice is and why it's so crucial to the restoration of our climate? Sure thing. I mean, it really is an exciting term and a new one for many of us. But the idea of healthy soil and soil regeneration and by extension, regenerative agriculture is this idea of building up soil using a set of different practices that uh, encourage life in the soil. And the key building block in all of that is actually carbon. So the the lesson that we all sort of learned in school was this idea that, that plants breathe out oxygen and breathe in carbon dioxide. And what we're increasingly understanding is that plants pump down a certain amount of that carbon and store it underground and actually build up the carbon in the soil. Um, So at at its simplest, it's it's an idea that rather than dirt just being sort of a a growing medium, soil is in fact a really uh, vital piece of our ecosystem and regeneration is the process of building that back up and increasing it. And that's particularly important um, for a number of reasons, not least of which because we are losing so much topsoil due to erosion. We have about 56 years left of harvest on the planet. That's a worldwide figure as well as something that tracks here in the U.S. So that's that's quite scary. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait. Okay, stop there for a second. Yes. We have 56 years left of our soil as it is right now to give us food. That's right. Uh, it was a, a quite a, a well-known report now um, that the UN's Food and Agriculture released. And at the time, it was 60 years of farming left. So if you go back and look for the news articles, you'll see 60 years of farming left. And we found that to be rather alarming. And so through my work at, at LandCorp, we reached out 
to the Agricultural Research Service, uh, a head scientist there, and said, is this number accurate? You know, it seems pretty drastic. And he said, well, it's it's an aggregate number. You know, in some parts of the country, we might have 100 years left, and in other parts of the country, we might have 30. So yes, as as an aggregate, it is about 60 years left of, of harvest. So it's quite alarming. And, and fortunately, we're starting to talk about it more, but it is a, a little known fact and, and obviously connected to all of the food and a lot of the fiber or clothing that we rely on. Wow. I mean, just wow. I, I know some things about soil regeneration and some work about it, but I had no idea that it was that little time. Can you explain to listeners why our soil needs to be regenerated in the first place? Well, the reason that we have so little of it left is because a lot of our agricultural practices, as well as some of our urban building and development practices, have eroded our topsoil away. So soil is getting uh, windswept and washed away or being simply built and developed over. And as it relates to agriculture, that's because of a lot of the more industrial and disruptive practices. So uh, tilling or plowing the soil where we have big machines that are literally turning up the soil that exposes um, soil, which is a, is a pretty, should be a stable structure that isn't disrupted. But when we're turning it over, it's, it's much more likely to, to just be lost. Um, so from that perspective of preserving the very thing that we need to grow our food, uh, regenerating soil is, is incredibly important. And then what I really love about this topic beyond their sort of basic building blocks is that soil health is connected to so many other issues. Healthy soil is, is vital for growing more nutritious food, which we'll get into, I think, in a little bit, as well as purifying our water, of holding more water on land, which makes us more resilient to flood and drought. Um, the soil is alive when it's healthy. Um, so it's really the, the basis of an ecosystem and, and lots of diverse species, starting from the microscopic life in the soil on up. Um, so it really is a, a foundational piece that's connected to so many of the issues that we all care about. So why haven't farmers been doing this all along? Why haven't we been doing this all along? Well, in many cases, I think that the regenerative practices that more and more of us are starting to advocate for, um, in some instances, are, are quite old and traditional. Um, so in some ways, this is going back to old knowledge. And then, of course, with our industrial practices, we were quite clever in learning how to produce a lot of food very quickly. And it's just that that has had some, some negative impacts. But the short-term benefits of, of higher yield and higher productivity have been very attractive to farmers. And, and that allowed us as a civilization to really expand and grow and move away from land and move into cities and so on. Um, so there, there were certainly some initial benefits and attractors for those more industrial practices. And, and now we're starting to see that there is, in fact, a need to return to regenerative practices that restore the soil rather than just extracting from it year after year. So it's some of the things in my own research and my own studies I found very interesting was that before uh, World War II that we kind of had that traditional farming or regenerative practice, which includes livestock. It, it's diversity. It's diversity in your land. It's not just growing two or three crops. But then after that, we went into Germany after, uh, well, the United States, when I say we, the United States went into Germany and mm -hmm. understood that th they had been doing research and found these fertilizers. 
And then we took all that information and kind of took it upon here. Is that correct? That's a great point. It's 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 a little known fact that we diverted um, some of the the products and chemicals that we were using in the war effort and diverted them towards agriculture after that that mm. war ended. Uh, so we found basically a, a new business stream and use for um, those synthetic nitrogen fertilizers, and that absolutely contributed to some of those huge booms in in yield and productivity that I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And and so then there goes the boom, right? Then there's the 50s, 1950s, and then we go in and now everything is now packaged and these massive farms. Um, as you know, my family are fourth generation farmers. So I, I've seen for myself how unhealthy it was. I know that my grandfather and his father started out, you know, with the smaller farm. We had livestock, we had a diversity in crops, and then we would do crop rotation. We'd also plant trees for Christmas, et cetera. And then now they can't even, they can't afford to farm their own land now. It's so there's a lot of labor, there's cost mm-hmm. for the seeds, right? You know, it's not your own seeds anymore. You're paying Monsanto or there's maybe, what is there's three now? three seed providers or something. And, and, you know, it's GMO and and, and it's soy and it's corn and it's all for livestock. It's not even for human consumption. And I don't know. I I mean, one of the other things that I find so distressing and I found interesting with our, our current way of farming is that our nutrition since the 1950s, like the nutrition in the food is down like 50%. Is that correct? I think that's about correct. I'm not sure of the exact number, but broadly speaking, the food that is available to most Americans has significantly decreased in its nutritional value. And I also just wanted to comment uh, briefly on your your family's situation. I think we really want to aim for a system where it is profitable for farmers to grow real healthy food again um, and to incentivize farmers to be able to apply more of those practices. So that's absolutely um, part of the the goal as as we see it. Yeah, there's a beautiful movie. It's called uh, Story of Farmer John. Have you seen this? I have not seen um, that one. It's it's a beautiful film, and I've shared it with many many friends and family, also in the in the farming industry, and and it's a community. You know, gosh, every summer I'd go out to my grandparents' farm, and there would be hundreds of people, and we'd have cookouts, and we, you know, and everyone's helped one another, and now it just seems so separate. Now, everyone's just out for themselves. Do you feel that soil regeneration can also not just restore our land, okay, sequester the carbon, which we have so much in the air, give us better nutrition, but also maybe restore communities and and pride in being a farmer? Absolutely. I couldn't say it better myself. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. So can you explain soil regeneration and organic are not the same, correct? Sometimes that is correct. So often, I think the spirit of organic farming is very much about uh, building up healthy soil and improving the nutritional value and the ecosystem uh, in which it's grown, um, which is wonderful. And then sometimes some of the the larger scale 
more organic and sort of industrial farms where you have acres upon acres of a single crop. While And while there is that absence of harmful chemicals, of which I think many of us understand, that's what organic represents to us is the absence of those, those bad inputs. Unfortunately, because you do have still a, a system which is essentially a monoculture combined with some of those disruptive practices that I mentioned earlier, like tillage, that can actually lead to a degradation in soil. So it, it is a little bit of a, a tricky one because um, we know to look out for the USDA organic label as something that is important to us, but it doesn't unfortunately guarantee that the soil is being built up. So Aria, I shared with you an article from the New York Times on organic farming and that it produces more CO2 than industrialized farming. So We know that organic and regenerative farming is different, but I was concerned about it when I read it. It felt like it was kind of a manipulation of the facts, and and maybe it's not, but the the article does end with the benefits of organic. But there's so many people in my teaching of health and wellness, right? And I say, you know, you really should, at at a minimum, you need to eat organic. It is super important. But now I'm afraid with articles like this, people will be like, well, it's not going to help climate change or it's not going to do this. Why should I eat organic? What do you think of this? Is this fueling the fire of climate deniers or is it? Well, I I agree with you that it's a, a murky article. And I think it's just simply not helpful to conflate ideas like organic potentially contributing to climate because of a couple of practices like tillage in some instances, uh, and to conflate that with the the large widespread impacts that more conventional practices have, I think it's just simply inaccurate. There there are so many more cascading um, detrimental impacts from conventional agriculture that to to put those two together and say that organic is is potentially quote-unquote worse, I think is is just not helpful. And then at the same time, there's uh, some of those conclusions that looking for organic where you can, but then also specifically seeking out farmers, farmers markets, brands that are speaking to building healthy soil and regenerative agriculture as, as, a, as another term that you can look for is incredibly helpful and worthwhile. Will there be a, a label or is there a label right now in, in the works that will mark our packaging saying regenerative ag on it? Yeah, there are some uh, labeling efforts and then more broadly speaking, some verification efforts that won't necessarily result in a consumer facing label on pack, um, but that allow company supply chains to help connect with farmers and ensure that uh, certain soil health indicators like soil organic matter or water infiltration rates, for example, um, to ensure that those indicators are increasing in a positive direction. And that's actually a piece of legislation that my organization, LandCorp, has been advocating for because we see it as as a really crucial piece of infrastructure that will allow so many other exciting initiatives, uh, carbon markets, ecosystem services markets, and other um, economic incentives to really be possible and function. Um, Having a, a verification program we think is really necessary And then as it relates to consumer-facing labels, um, we are starting to see early-stage projects like the Savory Institute has a land-to-market verification program, um, and one of their products 
epic uh, bar with uh, General Mills has that label already on pack. And then, of course, there's the regenerative organic certification, which is being spearheaded by Dr. Bronner's and Patagonia and, and Rodale. Uh, and they're in the sort of moving through their, their pilot uh, phase. So we can expect to see more of these trust marks in the future. But there's a lot of behind the scenes work um, that still needs to happen in order for consumers to just sort of buy their way into a solution. We're, we're, we're still kind of in the early stages of the movement. And as we do this, Aria, do you think, should we trust Big Ag, who gets involved? You just I just heard a big name there, General Mills, right? And I, I know that they're working, I believe, with Kiss the Ground. Can we trust this? I think that supporting those proactive efforts is really important. Uh, interesting and important. I think it's great that those steps are being taken. Organic farming, for example, on its own is is less than 1% of all of the acreage in the United States, even though it represents a very large um, percentage of the market. It's it's a fast-growing, profitable segment of the market. It's still such a small percent of of the acreage. So, allowing for these big ships to start turning around in the right direction um, and supporting um, soil health, I think, is really, really important and exciting and worth worth following, as well as continuing to keep them accountable. I think that the transparency piece is important and understanding that they won't be perfect overnight is definitely part of the, the journey, but I think worth um, worth staying open to. Okay, beautiful. You have such a vast background on this and have given us, I feel like, a real insight into what regenerative agriculture is. So you have a nonprofit called LandCorp, which I I know you started at Kiss the Ground, which is a nonprofit that focuses on education and the benefits of soil regeneration. So LandCorp focuses on policy and legislation. Is that right? That's right. Yes, Kiss the Ground was, was and is very much involved in telling the story of soil and sharing this inspiring solution, and and they continue to do so. And so with that work, I had the opportunity to be part of really a growing coalition of folks who were starting to establish agriculture on this global stage as both problem and solution, which is incredibly exciting. And more and more people are saying, oh, yes, agriculture is the way. This is really the thing that we want to do better and, and to do more of. And then there was this dot, 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 this sort of like, well, mm, how do we make that happen? And it's not just because a clear, concise call to action for consumers is still being developed, as I mentioned uh, just before, but the real kicker was that the, the economic incentives for farmers and ranchers to make those transitions and changes to their businesses and to their practices, very real, sometimes time-consuming, sometimes an investment and a risk up front. Uh, These changes is is quite challenging and and having a really clear economic incentive is very important to us. So so with that understanding that that was something that was and and in many cases still is missing, myself and my co-founder Harley set about to kick off this uh, initiative and and now a 501c3 organization with LandCorp. And, And our mission is to advance soil health policies and programs that create value for farmers, businesses, and communities. As I mentioned, we're really focused on building infrastructure that will create economic incentives for farmers um, and allow more folks to kind of experiment with these positive regenerative practices and, and make those investments on farm. It's interesting. So when you, you, you went into this, was there a decision that 
led you to legislation versus uh, education? Did you feel that you just had more experience in it or it was more powerful? Because I know it can also be very tedious and frustrating. Yes, that is fair. <laughs> That's a fair observation. Uh, you know, it really was looking at the landscape, which we had the opportunity to do to understand a lot of the different players in the space but particularly to understand the existing infrastructure that was already in place. And, and that idea of not reinventing the wheel is a really important value for us as an organization. And when we looked at um, the, there's an agency called the NRCS within the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It's the Natural Resources Conservation Service. And this is a voluntary agency that was set up by FDR during the Dust Bowl in the 30s that happened. And there are agents in almost every county in the country that have a, a voluntary uh, relationship with farmers. Farmers can invite them onto their land to provide uh, technical service technical assistance, excuse me, and help with those natural resource concerns. And we're like, well, that's a pretty incredible um, piece of infrastructure to build upon. So we looked at that and, and saw that there were opportunities to, to, to use that infrastructure, to work with that agency. And that was really what led us to, to federal policy in the first place, particularly the 2018 Farm Bill. And then I would say from there that um, – Soil health framed in that way is really an incredibly exciting issue and opportunity, uh, and, and forgive the, the pun, but it really is an issue of common ground. And so while some folks, I think, might be shaking their head and saying, oh, legislation and policy is, is not for me, I'd rather work in the business sector or something like that, what we've found is that we've been able to, to get in there and, and set meetings with members of Congress in both the House and the Senate on both sides of the aisle and have a really productive conversation. Um, and so for us, it's important to to kind of put some of those um, political issues aside and, and just move as much as we can on this issue while we can. Yeah, you know, I mean, that you make a great point there. It is common ground. I mean, that no matter which political party you're with, or if you're with none, um, you know, healthy, nutritious food that will last that will have beyond 50 years is important. And I, I think, you know, in one of my explorations, you know, I, I, I have taken the kiss the ground class and, and have taught on soil regeneration. And I was looking at bringing it to 4-H, uh, kids in 4-H, right? Um, my mom went to 4-H. It's a great way to reach everyone and to let them know what's going on and that there's solutions out there. And I spoke with someone at Cornell who who works uh, with the 4-H upstate here in New York, and um, he said, it's great, but they're funded by Monsanto. So, like, the 4-H gets programming out, right? But mm. a lot of these these companies pushing the chemicals and the fertilizers and seeds and stuff um, that we're trying to avoid are actually deeply woven into it. So how, how do we get around that? You know, how do we convince our politicians to go with regulation instead of supporting these corporations? Well... It's interesting that you use the word regulation. We've specifically chosen a, a track that is around uh, using legislation to create incentives rather than more subsidies. And unlike an organization like the EPA, which is regulatory in nature, um, NRCS is more of a voluntary one. So that's one kind of distinction that we make when we're in those legislative offices is saying the kind of policy that we're asking for is not an endless handout to a big or a small farm, frankly. And, and it's, it's, that's kind of an interesting issue where there is some agreement between both parties. Um, so we, we kind of work with that. 
that. And of course, there's always the the adage of, um, uh, and this is not the work that Landcore does, but sometimes in order to, to change policy, you need to change policymakers. That's a, kind of a, a broader uh, citizen um, piece of yeah. work as well. <laughs> I it, True. True. And, you know, I also agree with what I think that you are being the change by altering the policies, like with the farm bill. You, you're not looking for a new farm bill. You want to keep the structure that's out there and just, like you said, fine tune it. Incentives, which I get. Is that working for you? Well, that's certainly the strategy uh, in this Congress. And and I think that that's a, a sound one, you know, to, to pursue what we can change to build on the growing movement and demand and excitement for soil health um, and to use this, this round of, of uh, policy opportunities to build the infrastructure to create some of those incentives. And then further down the line, it might be possible to uh, propose some more uh, sweeping changes. I think, um, you know, and also in speaking to my own family, I've shared a book on soil regeneration with my cousin, and he loved it. He thought it was ideal, but he said that it, it takes money to get there. And is there ways that farmers can switch over to soil regeneration without having to put up all the costs? Yeah, well, that that is exactly uh the issue is is making that transition and that investment up front. And a, a big part of uh, Landcore's sort of thought leadership work is is making the connection or or even quantifying the connection between soil health and risk mitigation and strong financial outcomes on farms. Because once we have uh, enough clear, consistent data that really makes that case, and, and, and we do see that on a case study or kind of pilot project level, we're, we're looking at individual farms all around the country that are clearly a picture of resilience and health and profitability, but we're still in the early stages of bringing that data together. And, and our, our big picture vision is very much that institutions who are in the business of assessing risk, like our banks who are issuing uh, loans and capital, which almost every farmer needs access to, as well as things like crop insurance, which is another big piece of the puzzle. Um, we really see the, the future as, as those institutions looking at not only financial uh, the financial history of the farmer, but also their soil health outcomes as a way to indicate risk and to say, yes, this farmer who is improving soil health is a good bet. Uh, it's a good investment. Um, so we we really want to help incentivize um, those farmers in that way. Do you work with with small farms, large farms? Is there an ideal? We try to speak with as many different kinds of farmers and ranchers uh, around the country as possible. And so that includes the the small and the large. And of course, there are different production types in different parts of the, the country. So uh, because our work is federal in nature with the policy, we we do get the chance to, to speak with a variety. And, and in fact, our work with Landcore kicked off with a 10,000 mile road trip across the country to meet with different farmers and farming organizations, which is something I would recommend. It's an incredibly eye-opening and, and heartening experience. Wow. So was that just you and Harley who did that or? Yeah, that's right. We um, we knew that we, we needed to be in D.C. And I said, well, how about we drive? And then I said, well, how about we drive? And we meet with some farmers along the way. And it was the the start of a lot of in, incredible connections and um, and truly some beautiful work that farmers are doing on the on their land, you know, to, to step onto a farm and hear more birds than you would hear in a national park, for example. It's, it's quite incredible. 
that must have been just a, a real spectacular trip. How long was that road trip? It was almost biblical. I think it was uh, 40 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And what what are some of the stories that you heard out there? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I, I, I always uh, I think of a, a friend and farmer named Jesse McDougall, who through, through marriage uh, inherited his uh, wife's family farm, and, and he was out there Googling what is grass? Um, you know, and now is is an absolutely spectacular farmer. So I think it's really interesting the way that folks have come to this work from all different backgrounds. And even folks who sort of have worked in restaurants their whole life or worked in food or worked in the environment, we didn't necessarily know about soil health as, as kind of this keystone issue. Um, so it's really been exciting and humbling to see, and I, and I count myself amongst these folks um, of, of people who have just gotten to know about the issue and then, like Jesse, become a really spectacular um, grazier and, and, and farmer in the, in the process. It's wonderful. Aria, you describe yourself as a hopeful optimist. Uh, so I, I have two questions for you. One is, what gives you hope? Where do you see hope? And the second one is what I ask everyone who's on the show is, what is your why? What is that that thing inside of you that, you know, you get up every morning and you do this, even when you're frustrated, to continue in this work? Mm, yeah, thank you for that. I think that the answers are, are kind of the same for, for both questions. I, I've always been motivated to, to make a difference and, and to, you know, work on issues that, that matter. Um, but this idea that the way that we grow our food can be so beneficial for the land that instead of just uh, being concerned citizens who are trying to breathe less oxygen and do less harm and, you know, not step on anything, um, that actually we can be participatory and constructive and, and actually regenerate uh, soil and create more of the natural resources that we're trying to protect um, and to make, to grow more resilient uh, communities um, with really meaningful work in the process. That is, that is incredibly hopeful. And then I think politically, this is an issue that means so much to so many people. You know, there are very few, if any, farmers who are saying, no thanks, I wouldn't like healthier soil. So it really just is for us about uh, making it possible for farmers to, to give that kind of farming a, a try, um, to be profitable growing food, as I said earlier. And we do see just incredible momentum in this space. Uh, more and more companies, more and more politicians. We've heard it uh, on the Democratic debate stage uh, for the 2020 elections, for example. So all of those signs really indicate that there is a lot of momentum and, and that it is something that we can all participate in. Yes, I love that. And seeing all this in the change and that we're going to go through and it's going to be healthier. It's a healthier way. Life will be better and helping people to understand that they're not going to lose. In fact, it'll be nothing but gains. Aria, can you tell us uh, first uh, how, how listeners can help you with this work and also where can we find you? Absolutely. Well, you can find us on uh, LandCoreUSA.org. It's C-O-R-E-U-S-A.org. Uh, and on uh, social media channels with the same handle. And we really invite folks to, to sign up to learn more, um, to be courageous and, and get involved in policy, whether or not 
you and your organization have done that in the past. I think this, this is a moment where everyone does need to be involved in the policy landscape. Um, and of course, folks who are, are moved to do so can, can also donate to support that work. If you don't have time to be physically involved in the, in the day-to-day, then that's another great way to support us and other organizations that are, are doing this work. Great. So everyone go to LandCorpUSA.org. Go there, sign up. You have a newsletter sign up? We do, yes. You do. Okay, and, great. And nice and infrequent updates so folks won't be bombarded. Yeah, go there, sign up, donate if you can, participate if you can, and, and let's uh, help Aria be the change. Thank you, Aria, so much for being on. I'm grateful for your time. I know you're a very busy woman, and I thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and, and of course, for all the work that you're doing on behalf of us and the farmers. Thank you so much, Christine, and thank you for all you are doing as, as well to, to speak up. It's, it's wonderful. Oh, my pleasure. If you want to learn more about Ari McLaughlin and Lancor's work, please visit LancorUSA.org. You can also find her on Twitter and Instagram at Aria Intrepid and Lancor USA. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.